All right, we're back in our truth-shaped series, and this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter. So what we've said is this summer, we're going to be bouncing from Scripture text to Scripture text as we look at different ways that God's Word shapes us. Uh, and we live counterculturally. We're shaped by the truth. Uh, we don't just look like everybody else as God's people, but we actually look different because God's truth shapes us. And so we'll be on page 1015 in the Black Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you want to kind of see where we are and what text we're reading, you can grab one of those Black Bibles and turn to page 1015. It'll be the letter uh, of First Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, and we're calling it this morning, Shaped Through Suffering. Shaped Through Suffering. So First Peter 3, 8 through 18. Um, Christians do not believe that suffering is good, but Christians believe that God can do good things through suffering. We want to make that distinction. We don't want to become the kind of fake, positive-thinking people that are like, woohoo, I love suffering. Um, But we want to also know in the midst of our suffering that God is there with us, and God can work through that suffering. Um, And God shapes us for his glory in the midst of that suffering. So let's read 1 Peter 3, 8 through 18. Really, the whole book, all of 1 Peter, is about suffering and the hope that we have, despite our present suffering, we have this future hope of salvation, of everything being made right. So this week, I encourage you to go back and kind of cover the whole book on your own. But we'll be in verse uh, 8, 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We'll end there. I believe that's really, he's beginning a new section, but I wanted to grab that verse where he's saying, this is, this is the power, this is the motivation, is Jesus is suffering for us. Jesus marks that suffering is, at some level, God's will for our life, but it's something to be moved through, to be moved beyond, and that God can turn suffering for good. So let me pray for us, and I just want to say as well, I know that for some of you, you've been through recent suffering, or suffering that's so painful that you're not even ready really to think about it. Um, and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and I've been praying for you. Uh, and I'm going to pray for you right now. So let's pray that God would help us this morning. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are with us in the midst of our suffering. And God, I pray especially for those that are here this morning that have known uh, intense suffering and aren't sure what to make of this reality that, that you're there. Uh, why didn't you stop it? Why did it have to happen? God, we don't, we don't know the answers to all these questions. We pray that you would help us to find peace 
in you, to find hope in you. We ask you for your help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer, I'm hoping to, with every sermon, give you kind of additional resources as we're jumping through kind of major topics in the scripture. And so a couple of resources that would be helpful as you struggle with um, suffering and just the idea of suffering and what God's doing in your own personal suffering. One is a book called Redemption by Mike Wilkerson. Uh, Another is a book called How People Change by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp. Uh, These are great books that just kind of help you sort through. These are hard things I'm going through in my life. Where is God? What should my response be? Uh, What am I to make of this world of suffering that we live in? How am I going to make sense of this? The book Redemption, this one, is probably the book I've given out more than any other book as a pastor. Um, As a church, we pump out uh, through the mail the book Transforming Grace to new people in the church. So that that one, probably just by sheer numbers, I've given out more copies of. But, you know, I don't really count that because my secretary does that, right? So this one, I've actually handed into people's hands. This has been more of the personal counseling, one-on-one, talking with people about the hard things that they're going through. This is the book I've given out more than any other, again and again. But I also have to give a caveat when I give this book away, because each chapter is a story of a real person's suffering. And for some people, that's a little bit too intense. So I always have to kind of give a warning, um, a warning up front that, man, there's a lot of hard stories in the book. Um, Even the first chapter is a story, you know, about a girl who was abused throughout her whole life by her stepfather. It's just horrible. For some people, they can't even finish the book just because the stories of suffering are so hard. And as I was wrestling with this, I was thinking, why is it um, that stories of suffering are so hard for us to stomach and to face? And why, on the other side of that, are stories of suffering actually comforting to us when we're suffering? Have you ever thought about that? Like, on the one hand, I don't want to see any more suffering, you know? Sometimes you're like, I don't want to watch this movie. I don't want to read this book. I just don't want to face this. I've, I've hurt enough in life. I don't want to see one more story of suffering. But at other times in our life, those things can help us. Um, there's a connection point. And I think part of it is, first, the, the reality, the truth, that suffering is bad. And as Christians, we often miss that. If you have a high view of God's sovereignty and a high view of God's goodness and a high view of the reality that God can turn suffering and God can be there and help you through suffering, don't tip over the edge into suffering is good. Don't, just don't fall over that edge into the fakeness of I love suffering, suffering is great, right? Because then your, your heart gets disconnected from it. Then you're not as good at actually sympathizing with people when they're suffering. And I would argue you're kind of turning off a piece of your own heart when you face suffering. So we need to maintain that suffering is bad and Jesus came by suffering to relieve ultimate suffering in the world. So it was pretty important. I actually changed the name of the sermon. These, you know, you, as a sermon geek, I, I worry over the prepositions a lot, right? So I had shaped by suffering. I was like, no, I don't want, I don't want to say that because it's shaped through suffering. God is shaping us. The truth is shaping us. God is with us. And the point is to move us through that suffering to God's ultimate goals. For the joy set before him, Jesus faced the cross despising its shame, right? So there's joy on the other side of the cross. He despised the shame of the cross, but he went through it anyway. And I think we just need to maintain that balance of suffering can comfort us because that's the way the world is. Other people suffer too. It helps us to realize I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that's hurt. But it's also hard. Suffering's bad. We don't want to embrace it like, ah, suffering's great. I love suffering. So we just need to to maintain a balance there that I think is important. 
as we move through First Peter here, as I said, read the rest of the book. It's all about it. Another great place to meditate if you're struggling with your own suffering is Romans 8. Hugely helpful chapter that just talks about, man, the whole world is groaning. The whole world is aching with this brokenness. And we have hope in Jesus that God's fixing it, that we're headed towards a future that's all going to be made right. So Romans 8 is another place to just meditate and, and learn and sit at Jesus' feet as you struggle with your own suffering. But here in First Peter, the first thing that I found helpful to, to point out is that we're shaped into a team through suffering. It shapes us into a sense of unity. It makes us family when we suffer. And we realize, as I said earlier, that, oh, I'm not the only one that suffered. Other people have suffered. And suffering is now an opportunity for us to be made this team, made a family, made uh, into unity when we maybe didn't have unity before. So I just want to key on verse 8, the first verse in our section. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. These are all Christian unity words. These are all family words, community words. They're saying we're a team. Be on the same page with each other. See, what happens when you suffer is you're going to be tempted to turn on those that are close to you. Um, I know when I'm in pain, that's often when I'm the grumpiest, when I'm the meanest, when I'm the most selfish, right? Has that ever happened to y'all? You don't have to raise your hands. Maybe I'm the only one. That's okay. But often we're tempted to kind of flip that switch and turn into an orphan. Be like, okay, I'm on my own. I got to fight and scrap and claw to get out of this. Obviously, God's abandoned me. My family's abandoned me. Everyone, my friends have abandoned me. In that suffering, there's that huge temptation to say, I'm on my own. I've got to figure out my own way. I've got to dig myself out of this hole. And Peter's saying, now you have an opportunity here to be unified as a team. I think that's one of the most powerful things that the Christian church demonstrates to a watching world is we have hope in suffering in Jesus. And so because of that, even though this world is hard and it is broken, and I'm sick, and my friends are broken, and everything is falling apart in this world, I have hope, and I'm going to love others around me. And we're going to live as a family. We're going to live in community. We're going to have brotherly love for each other. We're going to have unity, as he says here. We're going to have sympathy. We're going to have compassion. And we do those things not to earn God's love. We do those things because God has shown love to us in the midst of the suffering. Because Jesus suffered for us, as it says in verse 18. We're able to suffer for each other. We're able to turn our suffering so that we can actually be a team, be on the same page, help each other out, and not make it all about us, not make it all about me. So we're shaped into a team. I thought a nice demonstration of this was a tug-of-war. We're pulling in the same direction. Any of you ever done a tug-of-war? Some of you? A few of you? Okay. It's a, it's a great sport. Uh, I don't know if we have professional tug-of-war in our, in our world, but it's a great sport. Most of us don't get past field day in elementary school with it, but it's a lot of fun. And it's very focused, right? I mean, the whole point is to get that flag past this marker and your team is all focused on this rope and you're all pulling in the same direction. You're all pulling in the same direction. In this world, we will face suffering. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say, have enough faith and you can skip the trouble. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Recognize the difference of that because there will be a lot of other churches that are going to give you another option that will tell you if you give enough and you have enough faith, you can skip the trouble. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's our hope. 
Jesus has overcome the world. So we have a hope beyond the trouble, but we will have trouble. And so we're going to pull in the same direction. We're going to be on the same team. We're going to help each other out because we're going to have trouble. Don't be surprised. He, he says later on, one of the great verses later on in chapter 4, he says, don't be surprised by this fiery trial coming upon you. Like that's, that's the world we live in. Again, that doesn't mean we embrace it and say, we love this world of brokenness. No, we, we still deal with it as a problem to be overcome. We still look forward to Jesus making all things right and wiping away every tear, but we deal with it as it is and say, Jesus is going to help me. He's going to be with us, and I'm going to help you. We're going to help each other, and we're going to be a team. We're going to pull in the same direction. Now, this is hard for us in our modern day because we are individualists, uh, and we are consumer, uh, consumers, consumerists. Uh, what we do is we see everything as a product, and we see ourselves as an island. And there are great benefits of that in our system. I don't want to deny that. Uh, I still wouldn't trade America for any other country in the world, right? I'm proud to be an American. But we have to recognize the idols of our country and recognize that America is not the same thing as Christianity. So we can embrace this country we live in and say, man, this is the best country in the world. I like this system. It's a better system than any of the other broken, sinful systems in the world. It's the best of all the evil systems out there. But we have to recognize the weaknesses of it. And one of the weaknesses is absolute individualism and consumerism. So it's not, it's not just a product exchange system we live in. We need to actually help each other out, be a community. God calls us into a family as his people. So again, I'm not, I'm not calling for the destruction of the capitalistic system. I'm just saying God calls us to share. When in that system, God calls us to share. God calls us to be a team. God calls us to help each other out. Are you helping each other out? Do you have Christian brothers and sisters in your life that you're doing life with, that you're pulling on the rope together, that you're saying we're a team and we're pulling in the same direction? Or do you just have your blinders on, you go into your garage, you don't talk to your neighbor, you don't talk to any friends, you show up at church, you listen to the sermon, because it's about information, it's not really about community, right? It's just about hearing stuff. You go home, you live your life on your own, because it's really just all about you and what you do. Or are you sharing? Are you helping each other out? You've got to be helping each other out or you're not going to grow. If you're seeing yourself as just an individual and you're not locking arms with other people, you're going to remain a baby in the Christian life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying you're in diapers, right? I'm just saying you're not, you're not growing up. You're not going to grow up. You need to join with others. We have a million next steps here, right? And you can make up your own next steps. I would say you need to find a way to get into community with other believers and help each other out. Growing together, challenging each other. Where am I obeying the Lord's call in my life? How am I following him well? Hold each other accountable. Encourage each other. Look at the word together. So you can find that, right? You can find a few other Christians and make that happen, or you could join one of the Bible studies that we have here at the church, a small group, a smaller community. But you need to be getting in uh, life with others. I think also service is an important part of that serving with others in the church, saying, hey, I'm, I'm a part of this church. We're going to be on the same team. I'm going to commit to what this church is doing. I'm going to lock arms with this church. I'm going to contribute my time, my talents, my money, uh, my emotions. I'm going to commit. I'm going to go all in. We would love for you to, to grow in your faith through commitment, through being a part of the team. Again, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're going to hell if you're an individualist that just kind of walks in and walks out. We're, we're glad you're here. We'd love you to keep coming and keep listening. I believe ultimately what's going to change your mind is you're going to be convinced by the Holy Spirit that this is God's will for your life. 
So I can't, I can't make you do that, right? I can't make you live life in community. I can't force you to be a part of a team, but I just want to explain to you and help you understand that that's how you're going to grow up. That's how you're going to grow in your faith is by locking arms with others, by being a team, by living in community. Next, he goes into more details about being shaped into righteousness. So God's plan is that we would actually be righteous, that we would actually live differently than others, that we would do good things. If you look at verse 9, he says it this way. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you see in the scripture, it's kind of set aside to that. That's generally a marker that they're quoting something from another portion of scripture. So he's quoting here Psalm 34. And he's saying, this is what righteousness looks like. Righteousness looks like when someone does evil to you, you bless them in return. You show grace to them. Uh, When someone curses you, you don't curse back, but you honor them. And you can kind of divide it up into two categories of righteousness. We've got the the mouth righteousness and the doing righteousness, right? He talks about doing good and he talks about speaking good. So the challenge for us is are we speaking good to those around us and are we doing good? Are you doing good things? Are you making the world a better place by the words that you speak and the actions that you take? Are you obeying God's law? Are you living in light of God's standards of righteousness as revealed in the Ten Commandments, as revealed in the law of love by Jesus, as revealed in the New Testament ethic? Are you living in line with that reality of righteousness? Are you living another way? And suffering is an opportunity for God to shape you into that righteousness. Peter says later on that if you're uh, done with the flesh, actually I'm just going to read this because I'm going to mess up the quote. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. It's not really part of our section, but it's part of this whole soup of what Peter's writing here. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. One of the things that suffering in the flesh can do for us is help us to realize that our life is not all about our flesh. That's one of the benefits. Again, we don't want to become the kind of people that are like, you know, going off the deep end and say, therefore, I'm going to start whipping myself, right? Or therefore, I'm going to start suffering on purpose. No, just let God handle that. Let circumstances of an evil world handle the suffering for you. The suffering is going to come. Don't bring suffering on yourself. Don't love suffering. But recognize that the suffering can can help you realize that my flesh is not the whole point of this world, that my comfort is not the whole point of this world. Parents especially recognize this. Young people recognize this. Your comfort and pleasure is not the number one reason for you to get up out of the bed in the morning. That's not the point. That's not why God put you here. Pleasure is a blessing. It's a great part of the world God made. God's not anti-pleasure. The new heavens and the earth will be ultimate pleasure. We're looking forward to ultimate pleasure. We find pleasure now in God. We benefit from the pleasures of uh, living the life God created us to live. So God's not anti-pleasure, but that's not the whole point. So what Peter is saying in chapter 4 is we're done with that. Um, when we've suffered, it helps us to be done with that. It helps us to set that aside. It helps us to grow up out of thinking that's what it's all about. And specifically, with this quote of Psalm 34, in chapter 3, he's saying, 
verses 9 through 12, live righteously. Speak righteous words, do righteous things, and that's an expression of being one of God's righteous people. You're going to then show the world that you're his kid. You belong to him. I have a picture here of a daddy uh, just gazing at his son, enjoying his child. Um, It's a beautiful thing to just delight in your own children. And I want you to see that here in Psalm 34, he gives us a picture of that, that the Lord is attentive to the righteous. If you look again at verse 12, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we want to be careful to not turn this into a quid pro quo, like, because I did righteous things, now God will finally pay attention to me. We need to watch out for that, right? We want to interpret Scripture with Scripture and recognize that throughout the Bible, we're told that the righteous ones are the ones that God is paying attention to, delighting in, and seeing as his children. But God's not doing that because we were righteous first, right? Romans 6.23 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that Romans 6.23? Romans 5. Someone look that up real quick, and you can tell me at the end of the service. In Romans, he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. That's the gospel. The gospel is a father who adopts us by his grace and by his love. Anybody got it yet? 5.8, 5.8, thank you, Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he is this father that moves towards us in adopting love and saves us by his grace and his compassion. He is attentive to us and we're his righteous ones and we do what's right. So the overwhelming message of scripture is we do what's right because he loves us. Not to try to win his attention. And I know that's hard for a lot of us because a lot of us, you know, we fought for our parents' attention we scrapped and we, we tried to make things right and we thought if I just do better, maybe they'll pay attention to me and God kind of flips that whole thing upside down. He says, I'm going to pay attention to you so that you will do better. I'm going to love you and I'm going to delight in you. I'm going to make you my own. Now do what's right. Now say what is good. No longer reviling when people revile you. No longer cursing when people curse you, but blessing others the way that Jesus blessed us. So my question for y'all is, are you... Do you see him as delighting in you? Do you see him as the father who loves you? Because that is the crux of the gospel, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus for you. That Jesus took your sin, and Jesus gives you his righteousness, and the result of that is God likes you. God likes you. That's the result of the gospel. The next thing that we see is that we're shaped into messengers. This should, um, this should mess you up so much in your head and in your heart that you want others to be included in it. It should kind of freak you out. You should say, I want others to know about this. This is, this is too good. I've got to tell others. Look at verse 13. He says it this way. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, this is going to change us transform us into people that are not fearful anymore. You're going to walk through life and people are going to see you as kind of weird, kind of alien, because you actually trust God. You actually think God is good, even though you have cancer, even though you just lost a loved one, 
even though you just lost your job, even though your friend just betrayed you, you're going to actually believe that God is good. The power of the gospel is going to overcome the suffering of your circumstances so that you actually believe God is good and you want to invite other people to him. So you're going to be shaped into a messenger, into an inviter, into someone saying, come on, come see this. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So just an aside here, he's saying, you're going to suffer, so don't suffer for being stupid and robbing the corner store. Suffer for blessing people and being like Jesus, right? You're going to suffer either way. This is a world of suffering. Jesus says, John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So choose your suffering. Peter and I is encouraging you. We're saying, suffer for doing good. Don't suffer for stupid, evil things. It's not worth it. It's not going to pay off. But I want to key again on verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this is inviting others to follow you as you follow Jesus, saying, Jesus is my hope. He's the reason I have hope in this world of suffering. I have hope beyond the reality of uh, hurting and struggling and crying and my depression and everything else I'm going through. Yeah, those are real and those things stink, but I have a hope beyond this suffering, and that hope is Jesus. And that transforms us into messengers. And it's really, it's counterintuitive, right? Because we think, I know you've thought this because I've thought this, you think, well, once my life is easy and good and everything is together, then I can invite other people to follow me and to follow Jesus. Because only then do I have the credibility to say, come on, let's follow Jesus together. But it's actually completely the opposite. The scripture says you have the credibility to invite people to follow Jesus when you're a sufferer and you have hope in Jesus even though you're a sufferer. That's where the credibility is all bound up in, in the reality of you're a sufferer just like everybody else. And you're saying, but I have a hope outside of the suffering. The credibility is not in health and wealth and perfection here and now. It's not in, I've got it all together, so follow me. It's in, I have a hope beyond this. I'm not fearful even though everything's falling apart. This world is falling apart. Any of you ever watch the news lately? The world is falling apart. I just want to kind of authoritatively, as your pastor, let you know the world is falling apart, okay? So stop being so freaked out and scared about it. It's going to be fine. Jesus is going to fix it, okay? Yeah, amen. Thank you. Hope in him. He'll carry us through this. But is it going to fall apart along the way? Yeah, it's going to fall apart. We're going to watch it fall apart along the way. We want to do our best to bring the kingdom here. Your, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do we want to make things better here? Yes. Do we want to vote to try to get things better? Yes. Do we want to build businesses to make things better? Yes. Do we want to be kind to our neighbor to make things better? Yes. So we're not passive like the world's falling apart. I don't care. But we want to recognize it is falling apart. We're going to do the best we can to make it better along the way, and we're not going to be afraid because we're trusting that ultimately Jesus is going to fix it. Um, I, I found this picture. A friend told me about this one. This is Iron Mike at Fort Benning. Anybody ever seen him before? Saying, follow me, right? Follow me. As I said, as a Christian, we're saying, follow me, not because you're rich and clean 
and you have shiny white teeth and everything's perfect and you never cry, right? That's not why you're saying follow me. You're saying follow me because I see Jesus ahead of me and I have hope in him. Follow me. Come on. There's Jesus. Let's go. It's going to be okay because of Jesus. Not because I've got everything all together. So I want to invite you into that process. I want to to tell you. I want to deputize you. Right? If I had a sword, I would knight you all right now. So you're followers of Jesus. Don't wait until your life is perfect. Invite others to follow him. Mark Deaver had an interesting uh, definition of discipleship. You've heard the word discipleship, right? He says, discipleship is me following Jesus. Discipling is me helping someone else follow Jesus. So it's real important that you would be a disciple and follow Jesus. Jesus calls you to be his disciple and follow him. But he also, in Matthew 28, tells the church to make disciples, to disciple others. It's a verb. It's an imperative. It's something we are to do. We are to make disciples. We are to say, follow me. Let's follow Jesus. Come on, let's go. So all of you are to be involved in that process. Don't wait until you're perfect. Because that's going to be after you're dead. Sorry. So go ahead and invite people now. Say, come on. Follow me. I'm following Jesus. Get involved in the process. And again, I want to wrap up with the the fuel, the power, the reason, the why we have is, is the last verse I read, as I said, he's beginning this next chapter and he's got this stuff about knowing all this other stuff, but he's got this, just, this core here, this nugget in verse 18. Let's read it again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The gospel, Jesus for us, is our hope and it is our power. It is the reason we can endure suffering. It is the reason we can be shaped into something better than we already are through suffering. The suffering is not our hope. Jesus is our hope. And we want to to invite other people to that hope, that hope that we have in Jesus. I want you to see that hope that we have in him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your discipleship plan. Um, God, we wish there was another way And so we pray, just like Jesus, if there is any other way, take this cup from us. God, we do not want to suffer. God, I pray for everyone here that they would have a taste of the new heavens and the new earth. I pray for healing. I pray for successful businesses. I pray for good days. I pray for happy children. I pray for good memories. But Lord, in all of that, we also recognize that this is a world of suffering. And you've called us to follow you and to follow Jesus. And so we pray that your will would be done. Help us to enjoy every bit. Help us to have every good memory. But help help us also to suffer well for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.